on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Thank you, Kwetu. All right. As we continue our study of the Sermon on the Mount, let's first pause and pray. Let's ask for God's help. Father, we are so grateful that you are present here in and through your word and through your people, that we are not alone, that you have not left us as spiritual orphans, but rather by your spirit, you say you, you are here, which, man, if, if that's true, that, that should really get us ready and get us in gear for what you're about to do over the next few minutes that your word really might take effect and anchor itself into our lives, open our eyes to see something that we've never seen of you, of ourselves, of one another, what might it be? So with eager anticipation, we're looking to your word. We're looking to you. Please help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here's a Father's Day thought to start with. Watching my kids grow up, has been one of the greatest joys of my life. It's just simply true. And one thing that I've enjoyed among all the others is watching them learn how to talk. It's been an interesting and fun process. My daughter, on the one hand, was almost born speaking in almost complete sentence, complex sentences. Those of you that know her uh, know that that's the case. She seems to just almost naturally understand the rules of grammar and pronunciation and how things sort of fall together in spoken speech. For my son, well, you know, he's more of a free spirit when it comes to speaking, shall we say, right? Uh, rules of sentences and pronunciation are sort of suggestions, right? And let's just say for him that it's really the thought that counts. <laughs> but listening to my kids learn how to talk over the years has really given me an appreciation for just how hard talking is. How hard it is to learn how to speak a language. We take it for granted, but talking is hard. I mean, how do you learn how to form a sentence or how to ask a question? or how to connect an object with an action word, a verb. Some of you might learn explicitly from a parent or a teacher, but a lot of this talking thing we just sort of pick up from hearing other people talk, don't we? It's, it's an amazing, almost mysterious process. Talking is hard. Praying is simply talking. Do you know that? Talking to God. And learning to talk with God is just like any other kind of learning to talk. It takes time. It takes patience. It's, it's wrought with frustration. But it's essential for communication, for love, for life. And most of all, maybe most of all, it's hard. 
it can be hard. Which is why it's such a gift and a grace to us that Jesus actually takes the time to help us to learn how to pray. He doesn't wag his finger. He doesn't say, well, come on, you should know this by now. Any more than we would wag our finger at a toddler that's just stumbling through learning how to speak. Jesus took the time to teach us how to pray, and here he gives us this sample prayer, which is often called the Lord's Prayer, found in today's passage. It's not a magic prayer. It doesn't work better than other prayers, or God doesn't hear it or listen to it more than other prayers. Rather, Jesus gives it to us as sort of a pattern of prayer, a model prayer. It's such a rich and profound pattern of prayer that we could actually study each line and go down line by line and and study it one by one across several weeks. We're not going to do that, though. Today, we're just going to look at a few broad lessons, a few themes that we find in the Lord's Prayer, five meditations, if you will, on the topic of prayer. Let's look at those together. Number one, first of all, we see that prayer baby talks. Prayer baby talks. Jesus invites us to address God as what? Father. As Father. We see in verse 9, Jesus taught us, pray then like this, like how? Our Father in heaven. It doesn't mean that it's wrong for us to address God by other names and titles. But what it does mean is that we're to approach God in prayer like a child speaks to her father with a childlike spirit. Baby talk isn't exactly the right word, I'll admit that. But it's something like that. What does it mean to speak to God like a child. I think it means praying dependently, like a child depends upon his or her parent. Prayer is meant to express our need and our dependency upon God. Paul Miller, in this great book, A Praying Life, says this, and by the way, if you want one good book to read on the topic of prayer, I'd really recommend his book, A Praying Life by Paul Miller. He says this, if you are not praying, then you are quite confident and you are quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all that you need in life. You'll always be a little too tired, a little too busy. But if, like Jesus, you realize that you can't do life on your own, then no matter how busy, no matter how tired you are, you will find the time to pray. You don't need more self-discipline to pray continuously. You just need to be poor in spirit. So many of us, I, often feel like life is just too busy to pray When in fact, in reality, that busyness, those pressing needs, those things that are just too large for you to handle, to carry yourself, is the very reason why you ought to pray. Praying is believing that there are some things in life that you cannot carry by yourself. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? 
Because the greatest barrier to pride, dear friends, as Paul Miller says, is not self-discipline. It's self-sufficiency. I can handle it. I can do it. What I really need more in life are more gifts, more time, more energy, or another energy bar. Right? Prayer, rather, is a spirit of a child. It's the fruit of the spirit of poverty of spirit. Where you say, I can't do this on my own, and nobody has an easier time acknowledging that than a child. Do you know that you are a child of a father if you are one with Christ? That you have a father that is willing and eager and mighty to help you? to save you. Secondly, praying as a child unto a father means not just praying dependently, it also means praying imperfectly. I mean, if you're to pray like a child, well, how does a child speak? Blah! However they want, as best as they can, fumbling through words. Do you know that it's okay if your prayers to God aren't perfect? That it's okay for you not to say all the right words? Do you know that you don't need to impress your Heavenly Father with the words that you speak? Hallelujah. You can be free just to bring your true, raw self and just blah. Some of you need to do that. Some of you really need to do that and let it just all hang out. When I was trying to relearn how to pray in light of this idea of the fatherhood of God and the childlikeness of genuine prayer a number of years ago, I actually for a time tried starting my prayers with, Hi, Daddy. And I tell you, the first time I did this, I think I almost burst into tears. Just the way in which it opened up sort of a new horizon of intimacy that I would actually dare to talk to God like that. It was just so different. A little awkward at first, but it was freeing. Maybe some of you need to try that. To really engage your heart with the fatherhood of God and your relationship to him as his child. Come as a child. It's okay if your prayers are a little stream of consciousness, a little bit rambling. That's all right. Come like a child. Now, this, of course, is different from the kind of babbling that Jesus refers to in verse 7. When he says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask them. What Jesus is talking about there is this, that some of us tend to use prayer as a way to bribe God. You think that by adding more words or by adding bigger words or by adding special words, a formula, that you're going to get God's attention or you're going to change his mind or you're going to pry open his treasure chest. But you better get busy and you better pray long and you better be really dazzling in the way that you approach him because that's the only way that he's going to listen to you, let alone answer you. Jesus says, don't you know you've got a daddy I mean, what a thought to consider on Father's Day. You, if you are in Christ, if you have embraced him, then you can call God your daddy. That he's your father. And so that means you can come to him with weak words, 
with not quite right words, with whatever words you have in your heart and sometimes not even with words just to be present with him. And you don't need to bribe him or pry open him or manipulate him. Do you know that sort of God? A God that is just this generous, this caring. Because, gosh, the, the, the quiet suspicion that we can carry in our hearts, that secretly, or maybe not so secretly, we can believe that God is holding out on us. Because why else did he not give me that, or that person, or this, or this future? Why else is my life not working out like I feel like it ought to, like I feel like I deserve it to? Well, it can only be because of, well, some flaw in him. Like he has a big bag of goodies and he just simply won't hand out those blessings to me. Listen, God is not reluctant. God is not a miser. God is your loving, generous, attentive, all-knowing, all-providing, all-caring, heavenly Father. Believe it today. Believe it today and pray like it's true. Prayer baby talks, child talks. Secondly, prayer praises. We see in the Lord's Prayer that prayer praises. Jesus invites us to prioritize the praise of God in prayer. Verse 9 says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now in this time, in this world, in scripture, your name is your character, your, your identity. We're, we're talking about who God is, that we address that in our prayers. This word hallowed or hallowed, we don't talk that way very much. Often, it's an old form of the word holy. Well, we don't talk that way much either. What does holy mean? Set apart, different, special, not like us, one of a kind, which starts to sound like the language of love, doesn't it? We don't pray like this often. Usually, our first go-to is to pray about the things that we want or think we need. Jesus is teaching us that prayer praises, that prayer actually first and foremost looks to God for who he is and just tells him who he is out of love and affection and adoration. We find this idea in verse 10 as well when Jesus instructs us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This massive idea that God is a king who's bringing his kingdom to change this world. That he's renewing all things. That he is reigning with his grace more and more. And one day, finally and fully, by making all things new and making all broken things whole and making all dead things live again. God is really bringing his kingdom. And these days, people look at that prayer, and generally what I hear is people apply that to needs related to social justice. And this prayer is that. And it does absolutely include that. God in his battle against evil, God in his commitment to overcome injustice, to right all structures in life and society, to bring things into harmony with himself, to reconcile relationships, all of these things, God, may your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, namely, perfectly. Your kingdom come. It is that. Yes, pray that we must, 
But it is more than that. First and foremost, that line is worship. Because we're acknowledging that if God is bringing his kingdom, then that means that God is king. And he's very big. And he's awesome. And he's resourceful enough to remake not just your life, but this whole world. And he's so committed to defeating death that he gave himself in the person of his son to die to defeat death. And he's so committed to forgiving your sins that he counted all your sins against his son on the cross that he would be judged in your and my place. That's how much he loves you. And he's so committed to saving you that he's bringing his kingdom to be here on this earth. And my goodness, do you see the God who is like that, the God who does that? This is an invitation to adoration, to love, to praise God for his nature and his character. When was the last time you stopped in prayer and you just listed off all the great things that God is? His character, his personality, your experience of his nature. Do that, maybe today. And note, I said listing off his character and his nature. I did not say just listing off the things that he's done for you because... There's a difference, you see, between praise and thanksgiving. A very important difference. Yes, we must pray with both in our hearts and on our mouths. But understand that they're not the same thing. Teacher and author J.I. Packer is really helpful here when he says this. Prayers of thanks focus to some extent on us. We thank God for particular gifts given to us and others personally and for general gifts bestowed on all. Praise, on the other hand, focuses directly on God. We praise him for who he is and what he is. It is the difference between a spouse saying to the other, you are the most understanding person I know, that's one reason I love you so much, and thanks for the sandwich, I needed it. There's a difference, isn't there? And a lot of us are only thanking God for the sandwich. What could it look like for us rather to turn our attention to deepening our adoration, our affectionate gratitude, our love and worship of God in prayer, which of course takes time. I mean, we see this even in our relationships with people face-to-face, -to, -face. to really offer a really solid, good word of praise, you can't do it on the fly. It's hard to do it without kind of settling your heart down and engaging and almost sort of giving yourself some space to genuinely praise someone. Why would it be any different, and even more so, with the person of God? It takes time. It takes an open heart. You cannot praise and adore anyone without some space in your heart. You cannot multitask praise of God. You cannot drive it through your prayers with just efficiency alone. You have to sit on it. You have to linger on it. You have to savor it because you savor God. Thirdly, number three, prayer surrenders. 
Prayer baby talks, prayer praises, prayer surrenders. If prayer is an acknowledgement that God is king and that his will is supreme, your kingdom come, your will be done, then Jesus is also teaching us that prayer, by its nature, is surrender. We talked about this in terms of being a child as well. It's letting go and just saying, God, you got to take over. I can't do it myself. Prayer surrenders. Our prayers tend to be obsessed with our name, with our empire, with our will, wanting our own way, getting upset when it's frustrated. Jesus turns our, us around and says, pray about God's name. Pray about his empire kingdom. Pray about God's will being done. As John Stott wisely says in the Christian counterculture, our top priority concern is not our name, kingdom, and will, but God. That we actually learn to look at God and to, to defer to God as we pray. Which doesn't mean that we don't come boldly with desires and requests. Again, that's what praying as a child is. Be bold. Ask for things. Yes. Know that your Father hears you and delights to answer your prayers. But here's the question. How are you asking. Because praying boldly is not the same thing as praying demandingly, of making demands of God. I must have this. I cannot have this. Which don't miss it is also a very proud expression of a belief that we have all the wisdom we need to figure out even what we need. Some of us may pray not realizing that whatever words we use, our hearts are actually saying, my kingdom come, my will be done. Jesus teaches us to say, no, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. Some of us today need to take that thing that you have been praying for maybe for days and weeks, maybe even for years. And you need to keep praying that thing because it's not wrong for you to ask God of things. Ask your father. But what you need to learn to say, perhaps, and what needs to reconfigure that very same prayer, perhaps, is this. I would love this, God, but not my will, but yours be done. I would love to see this in my life or to see this in another person's life or in our world, but your will be done because prayer surrenders. Fourthly, prayer waits. Prayer waits. You notice Jesus invites us to get pretty specific, bring our specific needs to God. He says, ask for help. Yes, give us this day our daily bread, verse 11. So, do you need comfort today? Pray to God for comfort. Do you need housing? Ask him. Do you need help to overcome a specific sin or vice that's damaging the relationships around you? Yes, ask him. In fact, some of our problems in prayer begins with the simple fact that we're not asking. We're just cynical enough that we feel like, well, what good is that going to do? We need to ask. But notice Jesus tells us, 
Just asking alone doesn't mean you're trusting. You need to ask, but you also need to pray with faith that God will provide and in his own timing. Oh, my goodness. The hardest word for me in that sentence, give us this day our daily bread, is daily. Because the nature of anxiety and stress and fear is that what we really want today is tomorrow's bread. What we really want today is weekly bread, monthly bread, at least a nibble. (laughs) Give me some of that. Assurance for tomorrow, today, that God is going to come through. Jesus is teaching us to trust God in a way where we're content of heart with grace for today. Contentment with his grace for today. My goodness. Prayer waits. Prayer waits for tomorrow's troubles to be tomorrow's and for God to give us grace for those troubles tomorrow. Prayer also waits even as we pray for daily bread for God to give his provisions in his appropriate timing, which gets us back to the whole issue of surrender and relinquishing control. Do we believe that even as we ask for specific things, that we're surrendering to God the timing and the manner in which he chooses to answer those prayers? Prayer waits, and we stink at waiting. I do. Will we believe, as Christian author Dylan Burroughs has written helpfully, God is never late and rarely early. He's always exactly right on time. His time. Will you learn to pray together with me for daily bread? For bread, yes. For needs, for crises, for help. But daily and moment-to-moment help, which requires trust. For God to walk with you rather than just pull up a big semi-truck load of help for you. Would you rather have that Or would you rather have him? The right hand of your heavenly father holding you in the darkness. Finally and lastly and very, very, very briefly, prayer weeps. Prayer weeps. Prayer baby talks and prayer praises and prayer surrenders and prayer waits. But finally, prayer weeps. Do you know and have you noticed, and we're not going to give this the time it deserves, that over half of the words in this prayer are devoted to the topics of sin and evil, are devoted to the things that divide us in our relationship from God and divide us in our relationships with one another and even of this world. In verse 12, forgive us our debts, praying in confession of our sins. Dear friends, do you on a regular basis come clean with God, honest about your failings, and more importantly, receiving his pardon? receiving his grace, letting God give you a new beginning, which is what he offers you in Christ Jesus? Have you confessed your sin to him lately? 
praying for our forgiveness of others. Verse 12, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Praying for temptation. Lead us not into temptation. Verse 13, praying for protection from and even the end of evil. Verse 13, deliver us from evil. Prayer is very real, isn't it? Prayer is not just simply about adding comforts to an already comfortable life. Prayer is one of the greatest acknowledgments that we live daily in a battle. As Jesus tells us through his apostles that our great battle in this world is not against flesh and blood. It's not against political powers. It's not against human beings no matter how much they've hurt you. Your greatest struggle is against the spiritual powers and principalities of evil, of darkness, of the sin in your life. And so Jesus says, take prayer and wield it. As brother and teacher John Piper has said, take prayer and wield it. Not like a sort of intercom calling for a butler for more comforts in life, but rather use prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie in the combat for your soul and for your relationships and for this world. Acknowledging the realities and the destructive power of sin and darkness and evil and claiming the great promises of the gospel of Christ that Jesus has died for your sin that Jesus has overcome death itself, that Jesus is renewing this world. His kingdom is coming. His kingdom will come. His kingdom is here. Prayer acknowledges these things, even with a broken heart. Because we come as people that know we need to surrender to God because we're helpless to save ourselves, to save other people, to save this world. Prayer comes with a surrendering heart. Prayer comes with a waiting, trusting heart, a childlike heart that acknowledges that we can't make it on our own. Do you know God like this? Don't you know? Prayer reveals more than anything about what you believe about the God that you're talking to and who you are in relationship with him. What do your prayers tell you about you, about God, and the God that you're coming to believe? Will God give us grace to pray differently, to pray with joy, to pray with power, to pray like this, as Jesus has taught us to pray? And now, let's pray. Jesus, we ask for your Spirit's help. Teach us to pray. Thank you for teaching us to pray and giving us your spirit that we might pray. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together and let's sing.